This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have a doubleheader today for you. Uh, not just a doubleheader. Uh, we have a doubleheader with two of the best skiers in skiing, period, point blank. Um, we have Tom Wallace and Parker White. Not together. That'd be an interesting interview for sure. But uh, nonetheless, the two of them separately, uh, you may have seen the interviews on our YouTube channel um, if you follow that. Some of the interviews will be available early uh, on the YouTube from now on. That's kind of our way of pushing that envelope and pushing that that medium, that channel, if you will. So it's just at Out of Podcast on YouTube if you are interested in watching these interviews happen. Um, there'll be some other ones coming as well that'll be in-person, filmed, cut, whole nine. But these are so far just Zoom um, interviews, but they're great. And honestly, seeing and hearing both of these guys kind of talk about the projects that they're they have going on and kind of just the current state of affairs in the ski industry was was fantastic parker's great i've talked to him before and he's always been one of the nicest guys to me and uh he's so down to earth he's so humble and he is one of my favorite skiers to watch point blank always um so i can't thank him enough for the time uh, and you absolutely have to go watch Nothing New. That is on the YouTube now. They're probably at like 4 million views or some shit like that. It was at 90-ish thousand when we did the interview a few weeks ago. Um, so I assume it's blown to the moon. Um, and then we have Tom Walsh. Tom Walsh is on the show, and uh, I feel like we all know who Tom is, and he's a legend, and he's been around this industry for so long. Um, I feel like every time I say that, it's like makes me sound like I'm calling them old and I'm definitely not calling Tom old. He is the youngest vet I have ever met. Um, and that was a great rhyme. Um, I'm super impressed at how well Tom talks, how well he is able to express how he feels. And I didn't run through any of the questions ahead of time with him. He was just ready to go for kind of whatever I had to ask him. And I thought he had some really, really interesting takes on making skiing more inclusive and not just in the term that you hear thrown around on the internet a lot, like actually more inclusive, like in a real functional way. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I can't thank Tom enough for spending the time with me. Be sure to go watch Fresh Fresh Squeezed, um, which is on YouTube right now uh, from Good Company, and there is some fucking bangers in that thing. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, before we jump into that episode, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to a sponsor, or maybe two. Um, first, I wanted to say thank you to a sponsor that is returning for this season. Um, I don't quite have a promo code yet but i just wanted to say thank you and to go check out their stuff i believe the promo code is the same as last year which is out of bounds 15 um, which gets you 15 percent off i haven't even told you what the brand is and i'm already telling you the code but pearl wax is back and you can spend some money and get your gear prepped for ski season uh, the people at pearl are absolutely wonderful the product is so good 
and they're always expanding. Uh, this year, they've added some skin wax to their offering. They've added a pro collection of waxes. Um, it is out of bounds. Fifteen is the promo code, um, and I will uh, I'll include it in the show notes just so it's not any more confusing than it needs to be. But uh, thank you to Jill and the whole Pearl team for continuing to work with us for the 2021 season. So um, hype for that. Go wax your gear. We're going to be doing a wax tutorial pretty soon here and uh, hopefully give you guys some good insight on how to actually use this Pearl stuff right. I've seen some pretty archaic looking wax methods over the years and uh, maybe we'll we'll kind of dip our toe and show you how to wax your stuff arena or pool at this point. But um, nonetheless, uh, thank you to Pearl. Follow them on the Instagram at Pearl Wax. Let them know we sent you. Place an order. Do the whole thing. Um, and that's basically it. I have a few more and we have a bunch of new sponsors to announce starting soon, but I kind of want to save them for, uh, for a future date. So, um, be sure to listen to Big Stick Energy on Mondays. They just had an amazing interview with Kaylin Thorian. Um, be sure to listen to The Pursuit on, uh, on Wednesdays with Mr. Adam X. He just got a new bike. If you're interested in hearing about that, I'm sure he'll be rambling on in the beginning of episodes about his new bike. Um, he just did an awesome interview with... Um, Brandon, who makes, he's outside Brandon on Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. And he basically just makes like very odd <laughs> ski bike, mostly bike and croc outdoor inventions. So that was a great interview. And John Croom, as always, uh, kills it on the cycling scene. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, go to www.outofcollective.com for all the new news, uh, site news, podcast write-ups. Uh, Charlie Walker's doing a bunch of great write-ups. If you're interested in reading a little more about the episode and some insights on the episodes, Charlie's got that dialed, and that's, uh, that's happening a couple times a week. we got a job board on the website. We've got some other things to announce pretty soon. Uh, we've got uh, – dude, there's so much stuff going on. It's going to be so sick. Um. So, uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever they call it. Uh, five stars. Let us know. Um, you can even tell me what your favorite show is of the four. Um, you can, I don't know, just engage with us. Engage with the social. Um, talk to us. Let me know your thoughts. If anybody wants to chat, I am always available. Email is just adam at outofpodcast.com. Here I am plugging my email in the beginning of a podcast, uh, which features Tom Walsh and um, Parker White. Like, Anybody gives a shit about my email. Um, so without further ado, here is Tom Wallish and then my conversation with Parker White. Sick. All right. Um, Tom, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then uh, we'll go from there. Cool. Yeah, I guess uh, Tom Wallish, professional free skier, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and now currently living out here in Park City, Utah. I guess I'm just a guy that likes to ski, makes ski movies, and has done some X Games and other events in, in the past, but just a guy that really likes skiing and, and still trying to be as much a part of the sport as I can. Can I, I'm sure people have asked you this a bunch, but competing versus filming, um, where do you stand on that side of things? Because it's a big talking point now, right? Because people don't necessarily have to go and compete in order to, in order for people to find out about them, in order for them to be noticed, I guess, by brands. Um, it's almost more important in a lot of ways to go and film a part and get it online. Um, how do you feel about that and how has it changed since you started? Yeah, I guess for me, one of the coolest things to see the last you know decade or so is the advent of social media. And like, there's a lot of bad things about social, but 
it's so amazing with videos, online content, and social that now you really can live anywhere, be from any small mountain, get noticed online and make it as a professional skier. And I think that's really cool. And for me, historically, when I was competing, like I, I loved competing. I love both aspects. And some people really are competitive and really love to like try to compete with their friends in anything. And I was always that kid. So to go into slope style and big air and compete like that, I love, but more or less for me over the years, the only reason I liked it was because I got to travel to the world's best terrain parks and travel with friends and try to put together really great runs. It was always about putting together a great run that like, even if it didn't win, if the run was what I wanted and what I was proud of, that was great. And that to me is what video creation has always been and will always be. It's always about making skiing look the best to you in some sort of compilation format. So like, even when I was competing for me, it was almost filming. Like I was trying to put together a beautiful run that even if it didn't win the day in the judges eyes, at least everybody else that watches my skiing would be stoked on it. So really content creation and filming has always been my pure passion. I'm just competitive enough of a guy that I had to, for a few years, I had to go out there and try to try to whoop everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy to see. And like the competition scene has almost grown to the point now where people aren't even understanding it as much as they were before. Like, I mean, the amount of spins even that people are doing is just, oh, yeah. it's almost incomprehensible to the average viewer do you think yeah. that's going to be a problem going forward like are people and and every time i ask this question i'm like okay it sh i shouldn't even be phrasing it like it's a problem right because people are just too good and like the average human is probably just not educated enough but like so it's not the athlete's fault but what do you think about the competition scene going forward yeah i mean it is like that it is hard to to watch these events and almost things are happening so quick and such big rotations that you're like i don't even know what that was was that a 18 a 14 and there's so much talent that like i don't think i think for for your average everyday person it's still really exciting to watch an event see somebody try a trick for the first time even if you don't know that an 1800 is more than a 1400 like you can tell when somebody does something death defying or lands a new trick and the excitement like for a viewer it's still really fun to watch the sport can you know everybody compete and for people to progress. But at the same time for like your average ski fan, it's probably more exciting to watch a perfectly done video of the perfect follow cam of a quarter mm. nine, because yeah, you can picture doing that. You can learn from that video. You can learn a little bit of an arm movement or a technique and you can appreciate the, like the beauty of it. And I think forever people are going to appreciate the smaller, more aesthetically pleasing tricks, but like, for me, I love seeing kids chuck. Like I love going to these events to commentate and trying to keep up with like what they're working on, where it's going. And it, you know, it will get more and more unattainable, but like, it shouldn't be easy to make it to the Olympics and win an Olympic medal. It should be insane. It should be hard. You should have to do things that are out of this world. And I think that's okay. You know, like you shouldn't be able to win the Olympics with a cork nine. I'd still can be competing. You could. It's, <laughs> it's cool that you have to do, you have to train all year. You got to put all your effort into it. I think, I think that's, that's fascinating. And it's fun for me to watch for sure. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about the most was the commentating aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide to want to do that? And also your take on it and the way that you're doing it, like while skiing is insane too. Like talk to me a little bit about 
that and what that feeling is like, because talking and trying to keep your composure while skiing at any level is difficult. Never mind like being on course, lights on you, mic'd up. Like, so what is that like? And how do you get your brain ready to like actually start doing that? Yeah, uh, we'll start with that for sure. The year at X Games when they they mic'd me up and let me <laughs> ski down the course and commentate was like, pretty insane obviously it's like it's see i mean just the talking seems like it would be a lot to do while skiing but more than anything i had this massive like lav mic set up and this massive like radio and like i was heavy like if i fell like i was like i'm gonna break a rib or puncture a lung on one of these like audio equipments in my jacket but it's just it's funny i mean for me I had spent, it was probably four or five years since I had been in a competition like that in front of like 20,000 people, live TV cameras. And it was exhilarating again. It was awesome to be back like in the start gate and just like a part of that environment. Cause it's something that like I did for so many years. It was like, I had missed it. It was really fun to like throw down in front of a crowd. And for me, like talking is is easy like I don't mind just chatting skiing and as long as we're talking skiing and sports like the sport like that that I know so well I could I could be doing any trick or anything and still just feel like I could be talking about it because it's just like second nature but it was definitely pretty funny I mean it was a total joke and like the whole experience we kept joking like if I were to fall one of our big things is analysts and commentators is not to speculate on the injury because you never know what somebody did or you, you don't want to say they're okay and have them not be okay. But since it was me, I could speculate. Like if I fell and broke my arm, it'd be like, Hey, I don't want to speculate, but I'm pretty sure. Yep. It's a broken arm. No, we can guarantee it. He's touching it. It's a broken arm. But uh, I mean, we just had a lot of jokes and a lot of fun about it. And I'm, I'm really grateful that ESPN and X games has given me that opportunity. Really. It just, came about because I said I'd be interested in doing it. They were looking for fresh talent to be on the mic. And I've always talked about when I was done competing, how much I would love to, to do some of that stuff, the color commentary, because it really is, it's fun. And I, I think I saw enough of the numbers and rotations getting said wrong by other mm -hmm. people. And I was like, as soon as I can do it and I have enough free time to do that, I would like to do it so that no one fucks up the numbers anymore. And I still, to this day, probably get a couple wrong because it's so hard, but uh, I'm honored to, to be in the booth and to be talking skiing for the, for the mainstream audience. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's such a good option for people, I think. Like if they're able to talk and they're able to kind of, you know, analyze the situation, that color commentary option for people going forward, like after skiing, oh, yeah. would be a really great. I mean, even in things like the Freeride World Tour, like those athletes have an opportunity to go out there and chat basically about the thing that they just did for the past however many years i think i think that's really cool and i think it's cool that you're doing it now like still in peak career like i think that's uh i think that's really rad dude sick and it's cool i mean with olympics and yeah free world, world tour and these bigger broadcasts around the world like you almost need a you know a swiss guy a norwegian totally guy or girl it doesn't have to be a guy i guess you need like you know, a nationality to speak the languages and to spread these sports to languages all around the world. So hopefully there's more and more people that get, you know, a little fun, little side gig out of, out of the sport, which is awesome. Yeah. Is that post career? Is that kind of where you see yourself spending most of your time? Like, do you know, and I mean, 
skiing is one of those things that you can obviously do forever. Like you don't have to just stop. Like there's not a hard in basketball, football, whatever. There's like, it seems to be, there's a hard age where people are just done. Skiing is like, okay, you get to your forties and you're like, seems like that's kind of it. But then people just change the type of skiing that they start doing and they just progress in a different way. And it's always super impressive to see how people do that. But I guess I kind of want to know, like, what is your plan when that kind of starts to happen? Like when you get to the point in your career where you're like, okay, I don't necessarily want to be hitting rails. I don't necessarily want to be in the park. And actually I heard a bunch of rumblings about uh, this big mountain Tom coming out um, in the spring of of last year. So, (laughs) yeah, I guess, I mean, for me, I tried not to look too far down the line. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'll never leave this industry, the ski industry. I'll, I'll be working or doing something in some type of way for forever. And, for me, the commentary stuff is definitely the side gig. It's, it's really fun, but I'm still trying, yeah, enough to film and, and ski. And I'd love to transition more and more from the park, from the rails to more big mountain, more backcountry stuff and really still like attack there. Cause I feel like you can do that for years and years to come almost till you're 40 or so exploring and telling stories and being fun and interesting and, and showcasing film in the backcountry like that. So I'd love to do more of that. We were joking all spring because I come from Pennsylvania. I'm definitely not a big mountain kid, but you know, just getting more and more into this backcountry terrain, I've taken on this hilarious joke persona of big mountain Tom, where I'm <laughs> literally incapable of not backslapping a cliff landing or something. It's really just a joke, but uh, no, for me, I'd love to commentate for, for a few more years. And then at some point, I think there should be somebody else, another kid that retires from slope style or half pipe that wants to take over. I don't want to do it for forever. I think eventually I won't, I mean, I'll know the tricks, but like I won't have done an 1800. I'd love for somebody to commentate that's done a triple cork 1800. Like mm-hmm. that would be cool to get that perspective or, or whatever it is. Somebody younger and more freshly retired from the scene or, or, or will be done competing and it's just one of those things. I think it's a passing of the torch and it should continue to evolve with whoever is closest to the sport. And for now I feel incredibly close to it, but like five years from now, I might not. And I don't know, I'm just kind of seeing how it goes. I'm so comfortable with where things are and there's still so much happening that like things are good, but yeah, I mean, I'm never going to leave this sport. I'll always find a a job or a thing to do or something within, uh, within free ski. Yeah. What, you still spend a lot of time it seems like going back to seven springs and kind of like going back to your roots and and making sure you're giving back to that community there why is that so important to you why is seven springs so important to you uh i mean the east coast in general and learning to ski there and coming from a small hill is just so cool and i have so much respect for everybody that grows up out there and for me it's really just how much money and and, and time that that resort has started to put into free ski snowboard like this last like five to ten years they spend so much money investing in everything from snowboard super park to my steel city showdown event and they continue to support the grassroots free ski and snowboard stuff so much that like i just i love it i love going back for that case i mean out west you have all these resorts owned by major icon and epic and all these big passes and these resorts that like build great parks but there's no character there's no love for the for the grassroots and for the the kids that do it and then you go back there and you see such a drive such a passion that i just love going back i still have family back east and there's still 
so many friends of mine that I grew up with in Pennsylvania that it's just like, it's awesome going back every year. And now like, as I get more and more free, you know, in terms of schedule and stuff, I'm hoping to get back more and more. I mean, I love skiing pow, but like hitting rails in the rain with like young kids that are learning their first pretzel or something like it's really cool to be a part of that scene. And like, as much as I want to be big mountain, Tom, I'm never going to leave that, uh, <laughs> that rail East coast rail mentality. I'll be riding rope toes probably till the day I stop skiing at least some of the year. So it's just cool to be a part of that uh, environment back East. Yeah. Can I ask you what your thoughts are on those big passes, the big mount? Like, I, obviously it's nice to hear that you value that grassroots stuff and that that stuff is still really important to you because so much so lately you're hearing more about Vail adding a new resort or Vail doing this or now there's like uh, some of the other resorts are adding like fast tracks to their offering so you can like mm-hmm. pay extra money get to the front of the, like all this shit that they're adding to make this a more premium experience for certain types of people but also like kind of just package everything together into one neat little kit how do you feel about that and do you think that's a good thing for the industry going forward Yeah, it's such a tough question because honestly, I see pluses and minuses to everything. Like there's a huge benefit to the kid that's like Steve Stepp, who I grew up with, who skis at Round Top. And now their pass for their home resort also works at Park City and they can come out and have the experience of a lifetime out here and then maybe change the course of their life. They'll go to college out west versus something else like the accessibility that the Epic and Icon and these major passes make for little resorts to have people have a chance to go somewhere else and ski for free on their same pass is like really cool. And at the same time, the country club mentality of fast tracks and VIP access and on slope lodging and all this stuff is just alienating people from our, our sport as well. It's like, I see so many pluses and minuses for both. I obviously, I mean, the grassroots resorts and the ones that like make snow and build a park, no matter what, open as early as they can, close as late as they can. That's obviously cooler for park and cooler for us. But at the same time, those passes do make it affordable for like the college kid. You can get X amount of resorts in your local area for 600 bucks or something, where if you wanted to ski that many different places, you would have had to buy different passes. And it's like... Mm. It's hard for me to say I hate that because it is cool. If I was in college, I would have got one of those and gone. You could go to a, a resort with a good park and a resort with good all mountain terrain and become an, a well-rounded skier rather than choosing and picking and choosing those like types of skiing you want to do. But it's just like, ah, it's hard to, to be a fan of like the whole push for country club and exclusivity and just so much of this like, build is toward more and more people, more and more skier visits and just like less of that, like hometown experience that you get. So, you know, I'm, I'm jammed right in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) There's gotta be a cap on it, right? Like, I mean, they can't just keep doing that forever. And, and I think the accessibility aspect of it is really nice. Like, I think that is, it's an important part of it because you can, I was talking about this with somebody the other day and I'm just like, I want to hate it so bad, but it makes it so cheap. Yeah. To go to these like these resorts that a single pass would be almost as much as, you know, the, the whole epic kit, you know. So I, I don't have that much of a problem with that part of it. What I don't love is like they take it over. And, and this oh, yeah. is a veil specific issue, I feel like. 
they take it over and then it kind of becomes this like it's just a cookie cutter option for another package product which again it's a big company it's hard to be like okay is that really a bad thing they've been successful doing what they do but then you kind of take a lot of the soul a lot of the locals out and you remove them from the picture almost and that yeah sucks yeah, that's the biggest issue is when that sort of a corporation moves in and we saw it here in, in Park City. It's like the hometown local coffee roasters that was in the village no longer is there. It's a Starbucks now. And like things mm-hmm. like that are massive hits to a ski community. That's like, you know, people that maybe have lived here for decades and generations. And it's like things like that are are horrible. And I hate that for for a community, whatever ski mountain, whatever town you're in, whenever brands are being repositioned and there's you know local clothing stores and local coffee shops are being replaced by the lululemons and starbucks and all this stuff i mean that sucks and that's really sad to see but then that accessibility i mean of that pass is pretty cool the only thing it doesn't allow is for that day ticket user so yeah there's just not enough of these like we need a you know, the ski resort in Denver, that's what's that tiny little hill where they love uh, Ruby Hill or wherever, where they have like snow in the winter. Sure. We need like more accessible, just like where's the beginner hill where it costs 10 bucks just to learn how to like ski. You don't want to yeah. pay 160 bucks to try skiing. What if you totally. hate it? If you hate it, that's fine. You don't have to do it, <laughs> but you shouldn't have to pay 160 bucks just to go out for an hour on a, on a magic carpet. Like, these, res- these mega resorts are fine for the skiers that know how to ski and want to take advantage of that pass option. But like, we need way more local resorts to just introduce the sport to kids from inner city youth to underprivileged kids of any kind that can't afford that $160. Like, where's the accessibility just to try an old pair of shitty demo skis and just go down the hill and see if you even like that momentum or that motion and I don't know. It's just not accessible to new skiers. Yeah, for real. Like it, it honestly, like you don't get good at skiing in one day, right? No. Like it does, you need multiple days, multiple, like it just yes. alienates yeah. so many people from the sport because you have to think about it. Like you want the industry to grow. You need new people in it. You need new people in it. They have to come from somewhere, right? Why would somebody pick skiing over a basketball, over a soccer when it costs nothing to do that? And you're like, oh, here's this sport where, it costs a shit ton of money. It's hard to get to. It's cold. There's like so many barriers already in this industry that it, to add more seems crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, so many, it's gotta be the least accessible, least obtainable sport to look at, but like, it doesn't have to be, that doesn't have, you could, I mean, yeah. you don't have to have brand new line skis. What if target sold really terrible skis <laughs> to just try? Like, yeah. It's not necessarily a good thing, but like you can't just only have world-class products, world-class resorts, like all the marketing can't be for like the best experience. Like what about having just like a mediocre experience and saving right. a couple bucks to introduce one person to the sport? Yeah, that's good to hear. I feel like skiing and professional skiers a lot of times too are like this where you'll talk to them and you're like, oh, here's the gear you kind of have to have. Like we don't necessarily want those. Like the beginner stuff is it's junk kind of, right? Like you hear that thrown around a lot and and it's not true. It's junk for somebody who's ripping, but it's not junk for somebody who's starting. It's the perfect product for a lot of those kids. So, and it's designed for that as well. So I don't know. It's, uh, 
it's a tough topic for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the fear is obviously like you sell a terrible product at a cheap price and you are undercutting the ski companies that work to make quality stuff. But like at some point there needs to be an accessibility option or a way to get used product in the hands of kids that can't afford it. Like there needs to be some way to make it more affordable at the entry level. Cause it is so hard of a sport to enter into. If you're not born into a white middle-class East coast family that like takes you skiing on the weekends. Like if you, if you know, it's just so entitled that we need to make it more accessible. If we ever want this sport to grow and diversify and be any more like inclusive, it just needs to be more affordable. Yeah. A lot of those small hills are starting to deteriorate a bit too. And you're seeing it year by year where like the past products are getting weaker and the price goes up slightly while everybody else's past product goes down. Like we used to have Blanford ski area in my, like in my hill. And it used to be like, 50% of the hill, like it was 600 vert or something like that, but 50% of the hill was a terrain park, right? Like, and it was actually yeah. sick. Like it was a blast to go hang out at. And there were some great events. There was rail jams almost every, like every month, basically from October through the spring. And that kind of stuff is starting to dwindle down a little bit. I, I think because it's just harder and harder to do, and there's less money going into those types of things. But and that's why it's cool to hear that Seven Springs is still supporting things like like your events and like just, I don't know, putting money into those grassroots campaigns. Yeah, I mean, they pulled out the red carpet for my event. And then even still every year this year, like to this year, I'm like, you guys are still building a 22 foot half pipe. Like, you know how hard <laughs> that is? They're the only resort east of the Mississippi doing it because it's insane. It's so hard on the East Coast where there's like such fluctuating weather yeah. and it takes so much snow so much skill to cut carve and create i'm just like every year they build it i'm like you guys are you're so it's so cool that you it might only be open for three or four weeks this year but you are dead set on being a resort that supports every aspect of park which includes half pipe like i don't go down it all the time but I love that they, they're like, you know what? I, we don't care what it costs. We're going to make snow. We're going to make a super pipe because that's what a resort should do. That should exist. There should be a chance for an East coast kid to learn how to ride a super pipe and make it somewhere with it. It's like, they're just dead set on like pushing, you know, free ski snowboard to just go for it. <laughs> um, all right. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well was, the full tilt news that came out recently. I didn't tell you I was going to talk to you about this at all. And I don't know how much you can say. Um, so I won't ask like two direct questions, I guess, but I, I just want to know what, what do you think about it? I mean, we all know now the press release went out, I believe it was last Monday. Um, it's full tilt's final year. I mean, you've been with them for forever. How does that make you feel? And have they talked to you at all for a plan going forward? Yeah, so we've been in discussions and I, I, I've known the news for a little while here and been updated on kind of what's happening. And for me, obviously, like Full Tilt as a brand is something that like I know and love and have been a part of for 15 years, been a part of the creation of 13 plus different pro model boots. So it's hearing that news the first time was really sad. And I'm sad to see that logo, that branding, that brand image and iconic mm -hmm you know, feel to the brand go away to, to be like on the other side of it. I'm I, as much as I'm sad to see it go. I know from my discussions with them that the 
boots will continue to exist. The, they're continuing to, to make the molds and the models that I love under just a different logo and a different brand and continuing to work with me and all the other athletes to continue to design pro models and different, you know, changing things up and creating new and better things for the athletes. And it was always owned by K2 and right. their parent core. It's always existed in this way. It's just really sad to see the iconic FT logo and the full, full tilt brand and that sort of like story of being remolded from the Reikley shells and brought to park and pipe to, you know, to the huge brand it was. So I'm really sad to see it go, but my only hope is that because of this, any of the adults or Midwest moms out there that were afraid to put full tilts on their feet because of the park sort of marketing will grab a pair of K2 and find a new and refreshed love of skiing because they found a, a pair of boots that are comfortable finally. Mm. And if that's what it takes, if they just never would have bought full tilt because they're not park, they're not park or whatever, then Hopefully that's the, that's the upside is that we at least see more of these comfortable, amazing boots put onto feats and, and people therefore like skiing more or stay out longer. I don't know. I'm trying to kind of be <laughs> optimistic about this. Cause obviously it's really sad for me. I mean, I, I can't even imagine like not designing a full tail boot. Cause it's literally been well over a decade. I, I just like, it's crazy to think, and I'm still working on a boot and you know, going into the next season, there, there will be a K2 boot. So there, there's a lot to look forward to, but it's just, yeah, it's sad to see the FD brand go away. Yeah, that was one of the big concerns when that news broke was like, okay, Full Tilt has one of the best athlete teams out there. What happens to all of you guys? So I guess it's good to hear that you guys have talked, obviously, and that was like, that was actually at the front of their minds when they made this decision. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I can't speak for, for the brand on every athlete or how it'll right. all work out, but like that, that it's such a, even the K, K2 brand behind them is athlete centric and they've cared about Ooh. these people for years. I think they're willing to work and do anything they can to maintain this great relationship with free ski. And as well, the only positive, the only other positive I see is that this frees up. And from my talks with the folks at line, is it frees up them a little bit more to focus on the brand of line and work on creating better skis and more cool products for us. So I'm just hoping it allows us to do cooler things in different ways. And just, uh, yeah, I think it'll be all right in the end. It's just sad news to see that, that logo, uh, dying out. Yeah. It, it feels like one of the cool kids is kind of left in your life. It's like one of the good cool kids. Like you're like, that dude was a good dude. And like he mm -hmm. left is what it feels like. True. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me because as like, as a boot fitter and as somebody who works in a shop, I, I K2's boot segment is their fastest growing segment right now. And it's like one of the easiest boots to sell on a ski wall because it fits so well. Right. And they're doing a lot of really smart things when it comes to engineering these new boots. And there's a lot of benefit there. Right. I haven't seen the new full tilt K2, whatever, whatever they're going to call it. Yeah. But, it's uh i'm imagining it's going to be really good it's like you said it's just it's a little bit of a bummer in some ways yeah um you have good company has a new film coming out that is going to drop this month um on the instagram it just keeps saying soon um it never actually gives I, a 
October 25th. Sorry, we're, we're, we were we were finalizing some music, but it looks to be October 25th. I can say it now. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. What what did you like filming? Like, how was the filming process for its fresh squeeze is what it's called? Yep. Yeah. How, how was the filming process? What was filming this one like? What did you enjoy about it? Yeah, I guess. I mean, this was, I mean, I, I'd probably say this every year we make a movie, but honestly, one of the most fun ones we've shot yet, because really it was, and the whole theme of Fresh Squeeze is, is, you know, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, the classic age old saying. And really it was with COVID, we couldn't travel to chase snow. You couldn't go to Canada. You couldn't go to Europe. We couldn't film exactly all the type of skiing we would have wanted in a normal year. So really we just, you know, decided to make the best of everything and go out with some fun friends and just have fun and do what we could. So for us, that meant filming more urban than I probably would have, because it was the one thing that like with COVID we could travel and go do. And then even in the backcountry, we weren't able to ski or get on terrain that I would have liked to, because it was an insanely dangerous year in Utah. So a lot of the footage is urban. It's, you know, inbounds or side country pow on relatively safe terrain and a lot of like smaller jumps and things that we felt comfortable doing. So really it was just making the best of everything, anything. And because of that, it was like low stress, like no, like crazy. We got to get this. I can't believe we're going on this trip. We weren't traveling like crazy. It was more like just a solid group of friends. And for me being back hitting a lot of street was really fun. Like I, mm. I mean, to this day, even at 34, like I love it. It's so fun chasing around a city, looking for a new rail and a new shape, a new feature that looks this way or that way. And I had so much fun with LJ and Tucker uh, Fitzsimons that it was like, it was a great year of like just good vibes, hitting urban, filming some backcountry, and, and all of it came together for what I think is one of our most well-rounded projects to date. It's got a little bit of every aspect of skiing. Okay. How, how do you still feel good at 34 hitting street? Like, how does your body, like, how is your body held up this well? Uh, you know, I don't know. I guess it's, it's <laughs> just being smart about it. Really. Like for me, I've, I've done, I've had enough injuries, but rehabbing from them well. And then like yeah. when you hit street, you can't like, I can't do the same thing I used to do. I can't find, a double kink and hike it 120 times trying some tech trick. I just can't. It's yeah. more for me, like, you know what I've never done and thinking of like a weird creative thing I've never done that I've always wanted to try and then slowly finding a feature for it. And it's really about just being smarter and being not necessarily more creative, but more particular about what you hit. And I am sore and beat up and me and LJ were making jokes this entire season because <laughs> we're skiing with Tucker. Who's uh, whatever, 23, 22, 23. We're both 33, 34. And we're like, no, you shovel, dude. I'm done shoveling. You hit it first, man. Like we're so old. Like you, you're so lucky Tucker. It's so easy. Hit it again, hit it again. Like Just being like really funny about it. But it is like, I mean, LJ is another one of those guys where I don't think he'd ever stop unless he had to, cause he's just got so much hustle and gung ho and so much like positive attitude that like, I mean, you get us together and both of us are just like very, very, we got to go get it kind of people. And even being a bit sore, you just wake up every day and try to find something, hopefully not that dangerous to do. And there's nothing that you're doing off season. That's like, because I feel like more and more lately, people have talked about their preseason prep, like mm. and what they do fitness wise, especially like, I mean, Johnny Collinson has a fucking like 
P90X video, basically. Exactly. Like, he sounds like it's amazing. But his Instagram, he hasn't had a shirt on on his Instagram in decades. God, why would he? That dude will get paid <laughs> for like just wandering around his yeah. house, I think. Like it's it's crazy. I mean, obviously that's definitely a part of it. Like when I was say 10 years ago, before I ever had an injury, there's no way I would pick up a weight. Like I've, I yeah. was never a gym kid and I'm not a gym kid now, but I definitely like I have at my house weights, bands, bench, uh, bike, a bunch of stuff. And I do a lot of preseason training from, you know, a lot of different weight and band work to, running and biking a lot like a lot more cardio and build than i used to but really like it helps that stuff all just helps prevent injury and helps me feel better going into the season but like it's more just what you ski how you choose to ski and how you take your rest days for me like i Mm -hmm. used to thinking about it years ago like there was a year i competed in every event filmed like four different movie segments never was at home, never took a day off, skied every single day. And like, that's where, how I got to where I was, but like, I, I physically can't do that anymore. I'm taking recovery days. I'm biking, I'm stretching, I'm icing throughout the winter. It's just the sport of skiing, as much as you prepare for it, you're still going to knuckle a jump and there's nothing you can do. Your mm-hmm. heels are going to be bruised. Your legs are going to be sore. Like, I don't care how many squats you did on the off season your feet are going to hurt. You knuckled the jump too bad. Like it's just what it is. Or like maybe you'll air off some clothes out to flat. Like there's no way to prevent that you're going to be sore. So for me, it's just about being smart about when I do and don't send it. And, and kind of like, that's the day I help somebody else get a shot or I don't go skiing or I just cruise the resort with my wife or something. Like it's just about being smart. And that's, I think what's helped me kind of keep it going throughout these years. Awesome. Um, Tom, thank you for your time. Um, I appreciate it. Where, where can people find you on social media, obviously? And then one more fresh squeeze the date that that thing's going to release online. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, yeah, at T Wallish on all social media. Somehow I got coerced into joining TikTok recently. I'm upset (laughs) about that. I wish I was off of it, but yeah, I'm even on TikTok now. And then yeah, super proud fresh squeeze by good company ski coming out on October 25th. We're going to be premiering it on YouTube. So we're going to do a live premiere. I'm going to do Q&A, hang out. It's going to be just fun and it's all for free. Uh, it's all we're doing nowadays is trying to make good content, give it away to the kids for free and get people stoked on skiing. So I'm stoked to release it, see what people think and excited for another good year and hope to see a lot of you listeners out there, out there. Please come say what's up. If you ever stumble across me at the ski hill. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Recording in progress. All right, Parker White, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, my name is Parker White. I'm 30 years old from Vermont and currently sitting in a room in uh, New Denver, BC. Sick. Um, yeah. So new project just came out. Um, it's already at like 90,000 views or some shit like that on the YouTube. Um, yeah. Nothing new is uh, just dropped. So tell me a little bit about what that project was like um, and why you guys are continuing this like nothing franchise um, because it's like, I think it's rad as fuck, but it's, it's turned into like this whole thing. There's like, there's merch to go with it. It's like, it seems like there's multiple different films. Dropped. Like, so what's, what's the thought process um, and what was that whole process like? Yeah, so like we started with just nothing. <laughs> And that was, <laughs> started with nothing. Now we're here. 
Uh, we started with nothing, which was just really um, specifically organized into three parts just to show like ski, snowboard, pow surf, which is just, you know, the three things that we primarily do. Yeah. And then that just, I don't, we didn't really have any intention in the beginning necessarily. We we're just going to kind of do it and figure it out. But that one like went so well that, I don't know, I was kind of having the conversation with Friedel and everybody was on board and we were like, yeah, we should keep doing this. And I, I felt like there was a lot of hype around the first one. And we kind of had, we had like unfinished um, kind of, we, we had kind of an unfinished season the first year. So we wanted, we, there was like still things we wanted to do the second year that we weren't able to the first with like our season being cut short and stuff. So, so it kind of, kind of made sense to like tie up some loose ends and do a second year. Yeah. So what's different this time around? It is definitely, I feel like it's a little less sectioned off um, this year than it was in the first one. Like it's, it's very like, you kind of go back and forth, I think between power surf and snowboarding and there's other people involved in it now too. Um, so talk to me a little about, a little bit about that. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think the first year we had, it was like a really, we had like the segments and everything really specifically organized before we'd even filmed it. Okay. So, I mean, it was really, you know, cut and dry. Like, this is skiing. This is power <laughs> You know, we, we really laid it out in sections to, to be really obvious. Where this last year, it was like, we were just going to essentially take the ethos from the first and just apply it to like a full season of skiing and snowboarding. So we were, we were just filming with like way more people. We had way more footage in general. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it's in the name, nothing new, but we didn't want it. We didn't want to make like the exact same movie. And it wasn't even an option to because everything that we'd filmed and the footage was so different. So it was like, how do we, you know, carry on the ethos of nothing, but without just trying to recreate the exact same movie? Yeah, no. And I feel like, oh, whoops, here, iPad 7. Oh, Jesus. Hold on. Oh, no. There we go. Okay, got it. Sorry. Um, yeah, dude, it's, there's some fucking bangers in that thing too. Like, I mean, that front flip over that road gap is one of the most ridiculous things I've seen in a while. And it's just so, like, <laughs> does that stuff even make you nervous? Like, do you think about that stuff before you do it and are like, fuck, like, all right, I'm, I'm tight right now. Like, no, the, the only one I, I get nervous a couple times a year. I think the the closing seven made me a little nervous <laughs> to be yeah. honest. And that, that shot actually too, I like, I did a seven one day and we just got that, the side angle Yeah. and we're watching it. And it was like that night and we're like, man, you can't really see how big that hit actually is. Yeah. It's like, we almost need that shot from the bottom, but we only had one filmer. So I actually, that clip, that seven, I went back the next day and had to do it again. <laughs> and I actually did it bigger and the snow was like way more set up the second day right yeah <laughs> that that one had me a little puckered especially because i had to go back and actually think about it instead of just going up there and feeling it and doing it and i was like ah, oh, god damn it i gotta go get a bottom angle <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that that one had me a little puckered the road the road gap is funny because it's like it's a you know it's a sizable hit but it's uh, it's pretty mellow i think it's, yeah. it's it looks crazier you, like, than it hits I'll, I'll put it that way 
Yeah, it's just, I mean, I think road gaps in general look insane. Anytime you put something in between, you know, like where you're taking off and landing, I, I feel like it looks much more crazy, especially like with the tip grab floating over it. Like it just looks smooth as fuck. And then that seven is, uh, is obviously a great ender as well. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. When you're, when you get nervous, is that like a sign for you to stop? Or is that a sign for you to like, okay, like I really need to dial in right here? Because some people, I feel like when they get nervous, they also get excited at the same time. Some people get nervous and they're like, all right, this is a sign that I shouldn't do shit. Um, so when you, when you're thinking about that stuff, does that, I don't know. Are you thinking this ahead? I don't get overly nervous. I, getting nervous is just part of skiing in general. I get kind of, I get hyped when I get nervous because I'm like, I don't know. I do that. If... Oh, you're frozen. Um, oh, good. We're back. All okay, right. we're, sorry. I think cut out there. I might, I might have some sketchy service. That's okay. But, uh, but yeah, I think like i never i don't i don't ever do something that like i can't visualize landing or that i don't i don't see working right i don't i don't get nervous to something where i'm like oh well we'll see how this goes you know i guess we'll just drop in and figure it out <laughs> it's, it's like i get nervous where there's the little thing in the back of my head where it's like okay this is pretty big or whatever but that's that's just part of skiing and that shit gets me kind of hyped so yeah yeah. is is there something that you wanted to put into this film that didn't make the cut like is there like is there something snowboard wise pow surf wise ski wise that you were thinking about adding in that just didn't make the final cut definitely dude there was tons of stuff that didn't make the final cut because like i said we filmed we actually had so much more footage than the year before and it's actually this the film itself i think is four seconds shorter it's yeah. like the exact same length so it was it was more rapid fire it was more just like start to finish there's no there's no breaks yeah in the whole film you know so i i had filmed like quite a bit of snowboard shit but we also filmed a full snowboard segment with like actual professional snowboards <laughs> <laughs> you know so it was like uh we put in like my nose butter three in there and there was yeah there was a lot of things that it just weren't room for wasn't yeah. room for but uh but it's like that's I, I think that goes with any movie especially on a good year it's like i would rather be in that position than having to milk things out or put extra shots in you know yeah how, how do you decide like what's the ideal length for a film like this like how is I mean, you guys basically ended up at 12 minutes i think for both of that like what's what's the like how do you decide whether it's gonna be 12 20 30 like what why that for us i think it's like I think 12 is the magic number. Yeah. People don't want to watch more than 12 minutes of skiing a lot of the time. And I've had people hit me up and be like, oh, I wish it was longer. And yeah. same thing. I'm like, okay, that's the, the best compliment. Because the worst thing someone could say is, oh, I wish that was shorter. <laughs> you <know? laughs> You're like, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> sorry to take up your day, you know? Yeah. So, uh, it's 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 better it's better quicker i think you just get people's attention and uh, uh you know attention pans attention spans are short so you just play to that yeah for sure I, one of the things i think that keeps you so involved too is not just the skiing and riding it's the soundtrack too the soundtrack is so fire the whole time 
throughout that Thanks. 12 minutes that you're just like, you feel like, I actually remember being like, I was super stoned the first time I watched it. I put it up on the screen and I'm just like, this is exactly what a ski movie should have for audio in it. Because it's not distracting from you and what you're doing at all, but it's like you yeah. feel everything that you guys are doing. So props to whoever picked that shit up. High praise. Yeah, that was uh, that was almost entirely Friedel. Yeah. <laughs> this year. I picked, I had like the credit song and we kind of mutually decided on the closer song of me and Wayne sharing the ski snowboard part. Yeah. But uh, no, that was kind of like last, the original nothing I'd say was more my influence on soundtrack. And then this year was like all Friedel pretty much. Sick. Yeah. Um, why don't you wear a helmet? Can I ask that? Like, what's the story behind not, like, I know for some people it yeah. makes them more comfortable. They're just more confident when they're not wearing one. And honestly, sometimes that's, I'm doing nothing at all. And for me, it's still more comfortable to just like wear a beanie and go shred. Like I feel more relaxed, but why, yeah. why don't you wear, I mean, you're fucking hitting huge shit and you're like just out there like rocking a beanie. Yeah, I know. I, that's, it's become a bit controversial actually. I, I've never even thought about it, but I've had people <laughs> hit me up and they're, and they're actually legitimately upset. <laughs> um, I, I, just, I just haven't ever worn a helmet. So I've, I've just never even thought of wearing one. It's not like a conscious decision. Yeah. But but um, like this year, we we were going to go to Valdez this year, actually. Uh, and it got canceled because there was like a big wind event up there, yada, yada. Um, but I before that, I actually got a helmet. Shout out to POC because they sent me a helmet. Because I was like, you know, I've, it's just going to we're going to be skiing big lines and I might just feel more comfortable having one on and in some kind of unfamiliar territory. Yeah. Um, and then I put it on when I got it. And it felt super odd. Yeah. I think it's something that I could maybe get used to, but at the same time, it's, I'm also sort of a, like, don't fix it if it ain't broke. So it's kind of like, I am, I think that you should go out there and do whatever's most comfortable to you. So if other people, I'm not, you know, preaching, don't wear a helmet. If other people want to wear a helmet, absolutely wear one. But for me, I just, I don't know. I've, I've never really worn one my whole life. So I don't, it's just not really thought. Yeah, I don't even know why I noticed. I think it's just like a, I had watched it a couple of times and I was like, all right, like he's actually not wearing a helmet and that seems terrifying. Like you see it in one clip. I think it actually was the clip where you're like, you had to be wearing a shit ton of hair gel or something like that when you're doing that, like on the big long snowboard initially when you like got your hair out and like, oh yeah, flick back. Um, I was like, no, oh, no hair gel. All oh, natural. <laughs> <laughs> what was you just like? It's just water. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I it probably crashed so slick back i was like it's gotta be hair gel it's got he's gotta be like putting on a look right now <laughs> well that was and that was the other thing too that was funny about the movie that i don't think a lot of people even noticed is the intro to to um the ski segment of me like spraying the the sunscreen in the hair yeah like that that isn't me that's not you no, that's our good friend Brad Andrew, who's like 45 years old. No, <laughs> he just takes all of our photos. Are and you he, yeah, he just he, like, like he never, he's never skied before. He's just been a snowboarder and photographer <laughs> his entire life, and it just became this ongoing joke all year that he was always just like, "I'm Parker White. My name is Parker White," and he would only <laughs> refer to himself as Parker and refer to me as Brad. So then we, so then he dressed up like me and went skiing one day. And so that's not me at all. 
which I think people who don't know me well don't even pick up on. But I just no, thought it was I didn't really pick up on it at all. I mean, I thought like I was like, dude, his like his face, his jawline looks like pretty trim. Like he's like looking like all like fucking spelt with the hair slick back. I thought it, I legit thought it was you. No, yeah, I think a lot of people did, except for like my really close friends who are just like, like my mom hit me up and was like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> it's our buddy Brad. Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Um, well, how do you so? Can I ask you how it goes when you're pitching? And I probably asked you this last year as well. When you're pitching something like this to your sponsors, like for this you had 686 and uh, how do you offer up a project like this? And how do you say like, okay, like here's what we think it's going to do. Here's why we need the money. Like here's how we like offer up this package of nothing new, right? And, and how do you tell them like, this is a different product than what we did last year? Yeah. Well, those, so it was easier the second year because the first year went so well. Yeah. Like if the first year flopped, then Nobody's what are you going off of, right? Yeah. So it, it, we were selling it less on it being totally different than last year as much as we were selling it on being the same, honestly. Okay. Even, even though it's not the exact same film, we were like, we're, we're going to take the, the same, you know, ethos and idea of last year's movie and just make another. And people were stoked on that because nothing did so well. So it was a pretty easy sell. We just were like, yeah, we're going to, you know, more or less make another nothing. And everyone loved that. So, yeah. Gear wise, do you have stuff like are you very particular about the gear that you're on or you're just like whatever I ski on, I'll just send whatever they send me? Well, First off, I'll start by saying I have way too much gear, <laughs> especially dude. like just just coming to New Denver. I was like, well, I'm going to be here probably for like December. So I'm like, well, I need a pal surf. I need my split board. I need my skis. Then I need my all my different boots for each one of those things. And then last year I had a hard boot set up, too. And then there's different boots for that as well. So it's it's actually becoming kind of a nuisance. <laughs> um but uh yeah i'm 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 not overly particular about gear i've been on the same skis for probably six maybe six years now the black ops 118 from rosignal mm -hmm. and we like helped design those so those haven't changed i'm particular about those but yeah as far as the rest goes i'll i kind of jump on whatever what do you like about that ski i mean that ski's been unchanged like for a while now and it's it's very simple looking it doesn't look like it's anything over the top it's not particularly stiff but it's not a noodle um so what do you like about that ski oh that ski is the shit it's we've actually never changed it it's the exact it's it's never been altered so i'll have people hit me up too and they're like oh dude i got a i got an og pair of the all black black ops yeah and i'm like that's great that you like that graphic, but it's the exact same ski. <laughs> so anyone, anyone who likes the originals know that uh, they're still the same. But yeah, it's the the one of the best things about that ski is it's like really heavy. Yeah, people get in pissing contests for you know different weights and kilograms of their skis and everything. Heavy skis um, ski super well, especially at a place like Baker. Like they just absorb everything they're super damp so you can just run mockabillion through any crud you know any chop and it's you just feels like you're in a cadillac and they're just, and it's just it's not reinventing the meal as some crazy shape it's like 
camera underfoot, rock, rocker tip and tail, nice and fat, so it floats and pow. And it's just got really good flex. It's, it's just like a, that's yeah, the perfect ski. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very weird. Like I, I look at the Rossignol line and everything is very like cookie cutter, like sell to moms, dads, uncles, like carving people like race skis. And then you have the black ops line, which is really like kind of its own home for like the cool shit that Rossi makes basically. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's awesome, but that all stemmed off of that original 118 ski, right? Yeah, totally. So the, the original Black Ops is just the 118, and then we made the 98, which is, for me, is just like a park ski. That's what I was like hitting the quarter pipe on. And then since then, they've added quite a few um, skis into the line. And then I think that's going to kind of change back this year, where this year it's going to be the 98, the 118, and then we're actually going to have like a 110 as well. Okay. That's cool. so like just to just to meet right in the middle of those two, which I've been trying to get them to make for years. And I think they're finally making. So I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah, that should be rad. I feel like there's kind of a weird gap that they left. Like they killed Soul 7 and then like, which obviously like is not my favorite ski. And it's but it was a lot like they sold the shit out of that thing. Right. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of people's favorite ski. It's not my favorite ski either. Hence the reason <laughs> I'm on the Black Ops. But that's that ski does very, very well for them. Yeah, it was a little bizarre when they just killed it cold turkey to me. Like, instead of redesigning it, making something different, they, like, killed it. And then they were like, oh, the sender is kind of, like, the sender 98 is kind of like that. And it's like, it's not, it's different. It yeah, just, it was, that's that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, that was a whole, that was a whole thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, long story long, I think, uh, I think it's all kind of reverting back this year to, it's a bit more um, separate from each other, yeah. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Um on a groomer day, do you care to ski or do you care to snowboard? Does it matter to you? Uh, do you have one preference over the other? To be honest, where I ski doesn't even really have groomers. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> seriously, Baker has like three groomers or something. Yeah. So I think on groomer days, I'm, I'm typically skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, can I, can I ask you about some of the current things going on? So like, I mean, there's fast pass or fast tracks just got announced like a few days ago. I don't know if you saw all this and people are kind of, it seems like people are super upset about it. Um, it's where like, you, what, what is a fast track? So it's 70 bucks. You can pay. I don't know. I think Baker's doing it too. Um, but basically what it is, is you can go out and actually, no, I don't think it's Baker. Um, Killington, Copper, all the powder-owned resorts. Is Baker owned by powder? No, Baker is independently owned. Okay, cool. So it's not Baker. I fucking forget who it is. It's somebody up in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm blanking. Steven, with... probably Stevens or something. Stevens is Vale. No, it's not Vale. I should find out what it is and actually give the proper. Um, but anyway, basically, Fast Tracks is this thing where you pay 70 bucks to get, like, around the lift line. You know how, like, Disneyland has fast passes where, like, you can upgrade... Oh card so they're doing that yeah with yeah now. yeah it's like amusement parks yeah exactly so like it yeah. people are fucking all apparently you don't even know about this yet but guys yeah, I, I this is over my head i hadn't heard anything about it dude it's uh people have kind of been pretty bummed about this like fast pass thing because it's just another reason that people can go ahead and you know take well the rich people are just gonna like stand in line and or not stand in line rather and everybody else is just gonna watch them and it's like you're adding this to a product that you already sold everybody in the fall. yeah 
I mean, yeah, this is the first I've heard of it, but that sounds like some bullshit to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's ridiculous. It's kind of like been all over everywhere on the internet and like in the ski internet but like the ski media side of things is kind of like they put out these news launches and it's all like icon epic powder related i feel like so yeah. if you're not interested in skiing those places then it doesn't really change anything for you yeah i have no idea but i will say that that's kind of what a lot of these ski resorts are too and a lot i know people don't like to admit it and they think that their home mountain is so special and so unique, but a lot of these places are just giant money-making fucking amusement parks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, uh, yeah. And that doesn't surprise me that people are doing that. They're probably going to make a ton of money. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that I agree with it necessarily, but does it yeah. come as some huge shock or something? Absolutely not. Like look at season, uh, you know, day, day tickets, like, yeah, it's 200 like they, bucks. Uh, yeah, it's, everything's crazy. Everything costs money and there's all types of privileges and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of is what it is. I I don't like that, <laughs> but also, <laughs> I don't, don't got to deal with it. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Is there, was it a conscious decision to pick Baker as a home hill, like because it's an independent resort um, or is it just like that is where you wanted to ski and that's the terrain you like? That's that's just where I wanted to ski in the terrain I like. And my girlfriend was actually uh, going to school, has been going to school the last two years in Vancouver. Okay. So it was a way to like actually be closer to her. And then of course the borders closed and everything and it became a huge hassle. But yeah, um, originally I kind of moved out there because she wanted to go to school and I'd, I've always just loved Baker and kind of wanted to live there. Um, so it, it just, everything kind of lined up. But also, like, a bunch of the stuff we filmed last year was filmed at Stevens, which is Vail. Yeah. And Stevens is sick. Yeah. I've never skied. Yeah. I've never skied there, but I heard it's great. Stevens is awesome. Like, I'll fucking, I'll go to the, the Vail resorts and powder resorts and whatever. I don't really care who owns a resort. The only thing I care about is the terrain, really. Yeah. Like, if, some, if summer has good terrain, I don't give a shit who owns it. I'll go ride the terrain. Yeah, I, I do like that about Baker, that it is independently owned. I like the feel. I like that there isn't massive uh, condos and shopping malls and everything there. I That is uh, the type of place that I'm personally really comfortable in. Yeah. But like, I'll go, I'll go ski anywhere. I don't care. I just love skiing. So. Yeah. No, that's, that's nice to hear. I mean, it's, it's really tough right now because I think people are attaching every decision they make to like where their alignment is in terms of how they feel about skiing this place that but like if they don't like Vail they're never going to go to a Vail resort right even if the train's good even if it makes more sense to drive to a Vail resort like yeah the half an hour like people will actually go out of their way to avoid those places but then there's obviously thousands and thousands of other people that are like this is home now like I'm going to a Vail resort because they have that past product do yeah. you do you see a problem at all with the way that the whole past dynamic is going? Um, it's, I guess it's a little concerning to me personally, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of a big deal it actually is. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard too. Cause like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm the best person to weigh in on this because for, for almost 10 years, I didn't even own a season's pass. Why? Like I've, I've, cause I didn't ski in resorts. I just only skied backcountry. Fair enough. And I would just, you know, I could go, I was living in Montana at the time. I'd maybe buy a, a day ticket one day. It was like 60 bucks. Yeah. 
but I, you know, I think that skiing for so many people relies on having a season's pass. And for me, uh, a lot of skiing is relied on like having a snowmobile or having skins and stuff. So, right. So I, yeah, it, it seems like, especially dropping in and just skiing for a day at these places seems really unattainable. Yeah. But I guess one other thing you have to think about is like a lot of these, uh, resorts are just getting overcrowded right and all of a sudden the more people that you have at these places uh the less quality of a product they're selling so there has to be some balance there like when people were starting to cap how many people could come to a ski resort a day everyone was really upset about that but that's not really a bad idea no i don't know that that should go to the highest bidder but just in general if they if a ski mountain says you know what? Uh, we think a thousand people a day here is, uh, you know, preserves the snow. It gives everyone the best experience. So yeah. that's what we're going to do. Like, I think that's awesome. Um, cause yeah, you just have like a better pow day. So, and there's, you, you see these lift lines too. They're like insane. Nobody wants to stand in that. That's no, why people are paying 70 bucks and getting special pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sort of losing the plot. I almost forget what the original. <laughs> no, but you're right though. Like it, shouldn't they sell that past product like with a cap on it in the spring or before the season though? That's what my issue is with these passes is like you're selling an Epic pass, right? There's no cap on how many they can sell. Right. So if everybody decide, I mean, they know their target markets and obviously population base is where like, yeah, ski, but if you sell a million Epic passes and your resort can only handle you know, a hundred thousand, you're fucked, right? If everybody decides yeah. to go on the weekend on a pow day, like what, how do you manage that? That's where I think the problem ends up being. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that, but that's what I was saying. I saw, so I didn't even know that, but I think there should be a cap on season passes. So it should be just cap on all passes. People just decide what their magic number is. And then it's like plan ahead. Here's, you know, here's when we're uh, opening the, the website to buy your pass. Like Baker does a cool thing where Baker um, allows previous pass holders to buy the time ahead of everyone else. Okay. So if the, if you were a season's pass holder here last year, you get priority if you want to re-up that or not. Yeah. And then it opens to the general public after that for people who haven't had a pass there. That's cool. That's nice because that's the kind of control you can get when it's a privately owned resort, right? Like you can do. Yeah, that. I think privately owned everything is better. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. It's just it's hard to argue with like, okay, it's seven hundred bucks. You can go ski wherever the fuck you want if you if you buy a. Yeah, but how many? How many? I wonder how many people though too actually travel to all of those different resorts. I think a lot of those people they just like the idea. They're like, I can ski in four hundred <laughs> different countries. <laughs> You're like, well. You're just not going to leave Colorado. <laughs> it's nice yeah. to know in the back bed, but I, and maybe it does take more taken advantage of than I, than I realize. but like, I don't ski, I don't ski 20 different resorts or something in a year. I ski like two. Yeah. Maybe three, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah, I, th I think a lot of them do travel and especially like I'm in New England, obviously most of the time. And I feel like the main thing that people do like when people come into the shop, they're just like, hey, I bought like I'm going on a trip. I need to buy some skis like I'm going out and I'm going to Steamboat and I'm going to Breck and I'm going to Vail. And like, that's my plan. They're like going to go hit it. And like people make a point to go out there and be like, 
doing this little trip where they hit all and I probably get a few dozen in my shop a year so I'm that's not very many but like that's enough to be like we're adding to the local populace that's going to these resorts so I don't know it kind of sounds like people just need to relax (laughs) (laughs) yeah that could be that could be the solution to everybody's problem is everybody (laughs) just needs to chill the fuck out a little bit Honestly, that's uh, that's fucking sage advice, dude. That's very uh, it's very wise advice. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, are you guys? Is this the last year of nothing? Do you guys have a plan to go do one next year? I feel like that's the worst question ever because you just finish like putting something out into the world and then everybody's like, when's another one coming? <laughs> no, it's it's okay. I'm on that same page too. I'm before I'm even done filming the first one i'm always I'm, I'm always thinking about the next one uh so we are gonna film another movie this year okay it's gonna be called nothing more sick yep and the idea is for it to just sort of complete the trilogy so it'll be nothing nothing new nothing more and then i think that's going to be it for the nothing series okay cool and i think you know and i don't want to like I don't want to shoot myself in the foot by saying that because I'm sure in coming years, I'm going to continue to film and work on projects and do things. But I was, I was talking about it with Friedel and I think that three movies is it's just a clean, a clean cutoff. We still have a couple things that we want to do. And um, I think that's just kind of a nice package. So is there anything in particular in your mind that you're like this season? I want to check this box. Definitely. Uh, the, the number one glaring thing in my head is going to Alaska. Sick. Because we we're supposed to go year one of nothing and then COVID shut it down. And then we rebooked for last year and then a big windstorm shut us down. So now we have our credit going on the third year to try and go to Alaska. So is travel still an issue for you? Like, is it still a problem, like, getting around places? Like, I don't know. I think you're probably traveling more than I am at this point, right? Like, you just did a road trip. You just did the film tour. Like, I mean, what's... Yeah. Is it harder? Is it a problem in different states? Like, is the COVID thing an issue when you're planning for this upcoming season? Like, I'm, I'm so sick of talking about it, but I want to yeah. know if it is... Because it feels like we're kind of regressing a little bit again where like places are starting to have mass mandates again and like it's yeah everything's a big deal and it's it's fucking crazy it is a little bit but but less so like i don't think that we're going to japan this year again you know yeah like i would love to go back to japan i i i really really love japan um but like that that kind of seems off the table but in general like getting up and back between uh bc is looking like it's going to be fine um and I don't know, that's uh, between like BC and Washington. It's everything's pretty chill. Yeah. Sick. But it's, but yeah, I don't know that we're going to be doing a lot of international travel, but we kind of haven't really been doing that stuff anyways. So. Yeah. It seems like everybody's kind of just made it work. Like they're just like they're dealing with it and they're just going to do whatever they can locally. And honestly, some really good shit has come out of like super people hanging out in their local areas. Like there's a ton of good projects. So. Yeah. Um, and this one included, like, I mean, this is, I don't, this is not like COVID related in any way, really, but it's like, you can promote it. You can do a YouTube premiere and like, you're starting to see a lot of other people do this more and more often where it's like, we're going to do a premiere. We're going to do it on like, we'll show it in theaters and stuff too, but 
the main, we're going to put it out on YouTube and that's how we're going to push this thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and like the film tour that I did was crazy. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, that did not feel like a compromised uh, uh, film tour in any way, shape or form. That, that, those parties were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People came out for that. that so that was awesome. You know, that was that was cool to see, too, because like. Yeah, that's it, just nice to go back to normal and see people out and about and, and just getting everybody together. That, that was awesome. Yeah. Do you like, so this, this is my last question, I think, and then I'm going to let you get out of here, but I, you're starting to see a lot more of these YouTube premieres and it's actually becoming prevalent where people are like really watching this shit. Like, I mean, you guys are at 90,000 views and it's been like a few weeks that this thing has been out on YouTube. Like that's, yeah. that's insane for a ski movie, I feel like. And Wallace just told me a couple of days ago that they're doing the good company premiere is the 25th and they're doing the same kind of thing that you guys did where it's like they're, he's going to be there like on the 25th and he'll be answering like fan questions. He's going to talk to everybody involved in the movie. They're going to have like a launch party basically on YouTube. Do you, do you like that kind of thing? Do you see yourself doing more of those kind of like those like YouTube style premieres? YouTube premieres? Yeah. Yeah. The, the YouTube premiere is cool because because like anybody can tune into it yeah but also i don't think that it's as good as an in-person premiere yeah no i agree it's it's not it's not the same experience i was having this this uh conversation with friedel though too it was kind of funny is like the original nothing i don't know if it would have succeeded as much as an in-person premiere as it did on youtube there are certain films that uh, premiere better than other films. It doesn't mean that they're a better or worse film. In fact, some of my favorite movies back in the day, like Idea, yeah. that's not something that might not be a movie that people are going crazy for out of premiere, but it's, but it's so good. So like it, it's more intimate to put headphones on and really watch something and study it yeah. and, feel, and feel it. But there's just something to be said for like just that old school massive party of getting everybody together, getting everybody stoked and showing all the biggest craziest shit and having everybody go crazy for it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny, like there'll be at a premiere, you get to actually hear and see all the reactions of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it won't be my favorite clip of the movie, but it's like, whatever the biggest clip is like the most death defying thing yeah. everyone's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> the certain tricks like Friedel and I were even joking that you could edit a film to like a totally different film for the premiere yeah that's like okay we're gonna make just the action sports banger movie and then you could you could make the actual <laughs> uh, the actual film the actual film film you released to everybody else right the way you want it but it's, it's two totally different experiences i prefer being in person actually meeting everyone and hanging out with them i think that i think that's invaluable but yeah the, the youtube premiere has its place too it's like it's whatever it's a, it's its own thing sick um all right parker where can people find you on social where can people find nothing and nothing new online um and anything else you want to plug feel free um say find nothing new on youtube just youtube parker white nothing new uh instagram is jet ski white and um 
I think that's pretty much it. Big shout out to all of my sponsors for continuing to support me and letting me uh, make all of these movies. Sick. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Thanks for the call, dude. I hope you have a good... Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode or episodes uh, with Tom Walsh and then with Parker White. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's just at Out of Podcast. We are going to try and blow that thing up a bit. Um, that's kind of going to be my focus for the next little bit here. Uh, kind of try to create some compelling YouTube content, if you will. I think that's what the YouTubers say is compelling. They use that word a lot. Uh, be sure to listen to all the shows on the Out of Collective um I don't know. It's just the Out of Collective. I keep wanting to say Out of Collective Network, but that's a mouthful. It's just the Out of Collective, uh, Big Stick Energy, Out of Bounds, The Pursuit, and of course, Coffee and Van Chats with John Croom. Um, thanks, everybody. Bye.